Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. We thought we could create a little guide for Chicago and music places we would tell a friend to you know, visit if they were in, in town and wanted to check out Chicago's music scene. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. My name's Sam. Maura Walsh, a Chicago-based artist, gained notoriety during the pandemic for her appropriately named Tiny Guide to Chicago's Best Music Culture Spots and Tiny Guide to Chicago Arts, which raised funds for local organizations, Chicago Independent Venue League, and Save Our Stages. We explore the origins of this project, the challenges of communicating architectural detail on such a small medium, and dive into the experience of having a project go viral overnight. We also touch on Mora's most recent tiny music scene project and why these spaces are front of mind for someone with a fine art background. In the episode notes on our website, you'll find images of the tiny guide projects so you can follow along during our analysis and check out the organizations discussed. Mora also created a playlist companion for this episode accessible in the notes. Give it a listen. Let's dive and get heavy. Maura Walsh, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me to come talk with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's begin by looking at uh, your tiny guides to uh, Chicago's best music and culture places. You kind of crammed in venues, restaurants, and uh, nightlife together. Uh, walk us through kind of the origin of that project, like how it came together, and why was it important for it to be tiny? All right. Well, I will try to start at the beginning. The This started with the Brooklyn Art Library, which is in Brooklyn, New York, and they house the world's largest collection of artist sketchbooks. I, I actually have two full sketchbooks there in their collection, so I was pretty familiar with them before um, the, their next project, which got me started on the tiny guide. They mailed everyone a tiny sketchbook and you had to fill it out and send it back in. I think it was about two by four inches. Um, so I signed up for that project, received this tiny blank sketchbook and was trying to figure out what to fill it with. Um, I actually remember the moment that my partner and I figured out <laughs> what to do. We were sitting for brunch at the Chicago Diner in Logan Square brainstorming because I was approaching my deadline for this little book. <laughs> uh, we kept, I'm sorry, we kept coming back to our uh, love of music and we are really avid concert goers. So in 2019, we went to 53 shows in one year, <laughs> which is the first year I tracked it. So I don't know what it was that year, but a lot. Um, so we were recently in San Francisco and basically didn't really know what cool places to check out that weren't in the, um, you know, just something listed on TripAdvisor. So we thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if someone started like a website to kind of do under underground places or like punk rock shows or whatever you want to go to that you're interested in that's not something just off of TripAdvisor. So we thought we could create a little guide for Chicago and music places we would tell a friend to, you know, visit if they were in, in town and wanted to check out Chicago's music scene. 
Um, so we kind of threw this list together of places while at brunch. <laughs> I did not think anyone else would see this besides us. So, <laughs> I mean, and the people that were going to see the submission yes, too, right? Yes, I mean, I was going to live in a little library, but <laughs> we, I wasn't so thoughtful about the list. I was just like, oh yeah, we like this place, we like this place, and you know, these are places we frequented often. Um, so I remember, I think it took me a few days to finish drawing it because I was pretty close to the deadline. I ripped the pages of the sketchbook out and attached little linear pages so it could kind of fold out into one long strip. Um, so it had four sides. There was two strips. Um, I drew all these tiny little buildings of these places crammed together into the pages. Um, it was really small and cute. So I made a little video when I was done of me opening it. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's like a little video of me opening it and it's just my hands and I put it on my Facebook and I thought my Facebook was private, but apparently <laughs> that video was shareable <laughs> because I woke up the next day and there was about like 10,000 views and I was getting messages from all these strangers demanding a copy and I was like, whoa, I only made one of these, so let me figure this out. Um, I was really surprised by that. Again, I didn't really think anyone else would see this other outside of this library and myself and uh, so I decided to make a edition of handmade versions. So I made a, you know, color co or copies of the insides. I hand trimmed, hand folded, hand assembled everything. And I made about 150 to start with and they sold out right away. Um, so I made a second edition and then that sold out. And I heard that people were buying multiple of the little books and cutting them up to frame them flat in an art print. And then I was like, oh, wait, that's so much less work for me. I'll just make this into an art print because I was literally folding everything and it was very time consuming. Um, so then the art print kind of sold out. I just made a small edition and then I kind of let it drop because I have a lot of interest in stuff I'm doing and I just kind of moved on. Um, and then that's kind of where the pandemic hit when I picked it up again. And mm -hmm. for uh, for chronology, this was yes. in 2019 that you created so. the the roughly that yeah, was the time. Yeah, I think that, it was the very mm -hmm. beginning. Like I remember it being winter, so I think it was the very start of 2019, and mm -hmm. that's when I made that, and then kind of sold a bunch, and then stopped. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when you're drawing, when you're drawing these very small buildings, there's a lot of like architectural features you have to communicate in a very small space, what kind of uh, like pens were you using and like what did you choose to keep versus omit in these particular buildings? Sure. So I used a, and I still use a Micron pen and I used the smallest size, which is 0 0.005. Uh, sometimes I use 0.1 as well, but um, I, that was the smallest pen I could find. So that's what I used to draw it out. I, I sketched it in pencil first and then inked it in. Um, as far as what details I chose, I think it was kind of just, if you squint at it and can kind of still see it, that's a major detail. <laughs> so okay, that's going to be in there. And then kind of, uh, representing different textures and tiny bricks. And I think there is a lot of work for your mind to do to kind of fill in some of the spaces that aren't very clear because it is so small. Um, so, and I think that process is a little bit intuitive. Um, it's hard to explain, but you kind of just say, oh, that looks like it. And good enough so mm -hmm, <laughs> it is what mm -hmm. it is so i think you you definitely do like an amazingly great job of communicating the most important features that make these places unique whether it's mm -hmm. the um 
the architecture of the building itself. If it's like a bay window style uh, style building like Kohl's or if it's, um, you know, one of my favorites in here, uh, Shuba's that has like the Schlitz, uh, (laughs) Uh the Schlitz (laughs) on it. Um, I mean, that's part of art is letting people's imagination fill in blanks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point that I haven't thought too much about, especially in that first iteration because I wasn't as careful and I I did it very quickly uh, for this deadline and uh, some of those decisions just kind of were made on a whim. But yeah, it's interesting to think about that part. Mm-hmm. And as uh, you mentioned, the the project kind of did take on a different tone once the pandemic hit. And um, it was rather impressive to see how this project kind of took on a different in, in a different way. Um, you raised almost or just over thirty seven thousand dollars in a few months for um, all these venues that had been hit by the pandemic. Can you kind of um, walk us through what that was like? Sure. Yes. So. Again, I had dropped this project for a bit, I guess, maybe a year or so. Uh, And then the pandemic hit in 2020. And my partner and I, again, being avid concert goers, we had tons of tickets purchased in advance for concerts. And we started seeing the shows get canceled one by one or pushed back and then canceled. And then we were just getting like refund after refund for our tickets. And we're like getting really concerned. Wow. You know, these places are pretty small. You know, most of these places are pretty independently run and um, a lot of great people work there. And we're just getting concerned about if they're going to make it. So uh, just one day it came to my mind, well, I have this drawing and a lot of places are in it. So maybe I could just sell it and donate the money to the places that are in the drawing. So my plan was to reproduce um, the art prints. I actually did reproduce a handful of the books as well um, to start this off. And I thought, okay, I'll sell this, you know, raise a couple thousand dollars hopefully, and then I can just distribute it to the places that are inside the drawing. So all the, I think there's about 20 places or so. Um, But I didn't really think it through too much (laughs) and I did not expect it to get to be as big as it was. Um, So when I posted it, I reached out to all the venues and I emailed them and I'm like, Hey, I want to help you. And, this is what I'm trying to do and just sell this drawing. And can you just help to share this on social media? And they did. And really quickly, I just took off and my, it just, I had to keep my phone on silent cause it was just blowing up like 24 <laughs> seven and hundreds and hundreds of orders were rolling in. And I was like, okay, wow. And those books, the books that I made um, sold out like instantly. And then I just continued with the art prints cause I couldn't keep up and I could not fold them. Like I was already <laughs> up all night just, shipping orders and keeping up with lost mail and um kind of you know trying to stay on top of all this huge influx of communication and shipping of orders was just so much work (laughs) um so i wasn't you know i was really surprised that it got that big and then people started contacting me um and i was talking to different people about sharing this on social media and just became like this web of sharing which was really nice and then i got in touch with the block club chicago and the chicago reader and then the chicago tribune and they all did a write-up on this project and that helped like so much to spread the word and after each press release would come out there would just be like this huge surge of orders and you know it was a lot of work but it was just tangible how much that helped to spread the word and people wanted to participate and contribute. And again, I wasn't keeping any of this money. I invested my own money and I donated everything to the, these places. So I wasn't making anything off of this. Um, and in the end, yeah, I raised over $37,000 and 
and I distributed it between all the places in, in the drawing. So that that's kind of yeah. <laughs> how that happened. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing to see how not only you got behind all these independent venues, but Chicago as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our music culture here is something we value as Chicagoans. And, you know, Absolutely. as all of us here were avid music goers before the pandemic, you know, it's good to know that most of these places actually did survive. And, you know, it's good to think, you know, you had your hand in that. <laughs> um, so I guess kind of then shifting, why did you choose some of the places that you did? And can you kind of talk to us about what they mean to you specifically? Sure. Um, so... Again, we made this list rather quickly, and I think if I were to do it again, I would be, you know, I would make some changes, and I think I would try to include more places because it's only, you know, I think it's less than 20. Um, So, I mean, we tend to go to concerts that are a little bit more uh, independently, or venues that are more independently run. We don't go to as many concerts where there's like hundreds of people there. I think the Empty Bottle is a place we were at all the time. Um, up until the pandemic and we when we when we moved and I was like oh it's closer to the empty bottle we can walk there you know that was like how much we were going there you know um we went to the beat kitchen a lot and a lot I mean we went to honestly all these venues quite often uh, that are in this um first iteration of the book and we're also we do a lot of physical music purchasing so record stores are also very important to us and we represented lorries um reckless records record breakers bucket of blood um again we frequent those places very often as well (laughs) which is expensive but um we're definitely physical media people and i for my whole life has always you know always preferred getting the physical copy versus a digital download i mean i love to look at the artwork that's in the you know either vinyl or cd or whatever tape Um, that adds a whole nother element to the music. So record stores were always really important to us. Um, as far as other places, I mean, there's a record or I'm sorry, there's a music school, which is the old town school of folk music. Uh, my partner was taking guitar lessons there at the time. So (laughs) that was very, uh, you know, influential to that decision. And they're doing a lot as well. I think, you know, I think they did a pretty good job during the pandemics, um, kind of, moving their classes online and keeping some people connected to music. Um, so I think, again, this list was made a little bit quickly, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, these were just places that we were very often at and would tell a friend to go to, I guess, is the important part if they were visiting. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved the addition of, uh, you know, Cafe Mustache and Coles for Logan's. Like those yeah. are staples of the neighborhood, yeah. you know, that, I mean, unless if you live there, it's good for, you know, tourists to know that those places exist, too. And yeah, it was it was really cool to see those places included. It's interesting that you, you know, these were places that were, you know, on the top of your head in a way. And they were probably places you'd been to within the last month before you uh, embarked on actually putting pen to paper. And so it's interesting that this kind of recontextualizes them in that it's not it's an experience that you're telling other people that they can have by putting it in this form. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really interesting thought, um, in relation to the, I didn't think this list out very, not very well, but for very long, it was just like, Oh, these are the places we would tell a friend to go. And I think now if I was doing it, doing that, it would have a little bit more like 
political reasons or like, let's be <laughs> fair to everyone and let's include everyone. But again, I didn't really think this would be seen by many people. So it didn't really matter. So I think that's an interesting aspect to pick up on that, like you said. Yeah. And so when we're looking at uh, one of the uh, original draw or another original drawing that you've shown us that uh, we'll then put on the website for folks to look at, um, the organization's a little bit different, as you alluded to, than the book. Uh, this is all on one on one page. So these buildings are organized sort of in the in relation to the neighborhood. Um, so uh, apart from that being the organizing structure, was there other thought going into which places go next to each other, next to uh, next to the other? Um, for the first drawing, no, not really. I think it was just, oh, I'll just draw them, connecting them by neighborhood and kind of maybe the neighborhood's a little bit connected to where, you know, they're close to. But mainly I was just kind of puzzling it together based on kind of how they fit um, outside of that. For my future drawings, I tried purposefully to, you know, randomize them and kind of look at them just by shape as far as what would puzzle together well. Um, my other drawings have been a little bit more complex and a lot more spaces to fit in. So... I think those those decisions had to be a little bit more thoughtful. But um, for the first one, it was very just intuitive. And, you know, this place is by this place. That's cool. But other than that, you know, within the neighborhoods, there's no real um, reason. And I, I didn't see there necessarily a reason to have them organized in a certain way. Like, I didn't feel like anyone in this book was a rival or wouldn't want to be seen next to each other or something. So it was just kind of uh, shape and neighborhood where the... <laughs> the defining factors of placement. It, it, it's interesting because, I mean, in a way you're creating a thread through all of these places that regardless of how they see each other in relation to uh, it in, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter because it's actually, it's your art and it's how you view them. And it's uh, how I see it is that you're viewing these as places that serve sort of a similar function in a way. They're a place that people can uh, people can get together and uh, see music, eat things, drink things, uh, and have fun. And it, it's without the like weirdo local politics or the like personal politics that uh, business operation carries. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like. Um you know, you know, you kind of think of like clicks in high school or something, you know, like, <laughs> and it's funny you said though, because for me, I felt like I never really belonged to a click or I could kind of go in and out of everyone's groups <laughs> and just do my own thing. Uh, so I feel like that, that actually kind of probably translates to this book where you kind of feel, feel okay going into places in different neighborhoods and different, um, you know, different types of music and different types of cultures. <laughs> yeah. So let's, Let's backtrack. We'll, we'll pull out of this project for a second okay. and talk a little bit about, uh, take this opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself. So were these venues places that you went to kind of growing up? Are you from the Chicagoland uh, area? Just maybe to give us a little bit of an idea as to, you know, how you're connected to these places. Sure. <laughs> so I am from Chicago. I've always lived here. My dad um, actually grew up in Oak Park. So he also is pretty central to Chicago his whole life. Um, so, you know, I've just been in the Chicago area. I did go to Columbia here in Chicago. I studied fine art. Um, and as far as my connection to music, I, you know, we moved around a lot as a kid, just always around neighborhoods, like circling Chicago, the Chicago city. And I, 
did not have a very good childhood. So I think I turned to music uh, pretty early on in, in high school was my kind of time to d- discover my freedom with that. Um, I just remember kind of like going into these rabbit holes, discovering music and getting really into different things. And my friends, necess- you know, were not necessarily into this at all. They actually were more so not. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just had this very um, kind of weird, isolated experience of discovering my own music and what I liked. Like I was never like, I like just punk rock. I liked punk. I liked metal. I liked um, different types of hardcore music and experimental music and like electronic music. And so I I didn't really have to fit in that cube of like a genre. Um, and I really had no one advising me on what to like check out next or look into or not listen to. So, um, that was a really great experience for me. And I think gave me a lot of, um, kind of sanity in difficult times. And also I think it tied into my interest in art. And obviously I, you know, I studied art. I was kind of an artist since a kid, but just seeing all the, the, the creativity and art that goes into the, the physical record, I think, or the album was always really important to me. I loved, I would always read the lyrics like many times over. <laughs> I would like study the artwork. You know, this was younger when I had more time, but um, I was very, very like into every detail of that album. And um, when I got old enough and I could drive and kind of go out by myself, I did start going to shows and I often went alone. I, again, didn't have many friends who were into that type of music I was into, or even if they were, a lot of people just don't like to go to shows or they just have excuses and, you know, there's times where I've let myself be like, okay, fine, we won't go. But then I'm bummed because I missed an opportunity because of someone else's like issues or <laughs> want to just stay home and do nothing. And so I kind of got into the habit of going to shows alone um, from, you know, the time I could drive. It obviously became easier when I became 21 and could go to all, you know, shows that didn't have the 21 band because I remember like begging people to get into shows and I wasn't 21 and just being so sad because I just wanted to see the music and I wasn't like, I don't want to drink, just let me in. And so when I was 20, when I got to be 21, it was obviously a lot easier, but I did go I remember going to the beat kitchen a lot and I don't remember what age that was. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember if it was all ages or 21 It all kind of blends together. Um, I did go to the empty bottle a lot. Uh, I went to Metro a lot as well. That was one of the, the big ones. And even though it was again, kind of like an isolated, um, experience by myself, I, I still felt like there was a sense of community within once I entered the show and that really spoke to me. Um, and that's kind of how I, I just, I really just kept up with it and just kept going to shows since then. So mm-hmm. so it seems as though it's not just the things that the, the bands uh, that were playing in these places or the things that, that these places offer something more than just the, the arts, but there's a community uh, within these places that you kind of uh, highlighted. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, I think listening to music as well, you're kind of joining someone's creative experience or you're appreciating their art. And I think there's a sense of community in that, even if you're listening to their music alone. Um, there's like that participation in their their creativity, which I think is really lovely. And I think that that's amplified in a live show. Um, even if like, I rarely talk to the people around me, but you know, I still felt there was a sense of community. Like we're all here to do the same thing. We're all here with mostly good intentions and just want to support these people being creative and to participate in this experience that they're generously sharing with us. 
Um, so yeah, I think that there, the sense of community in music itself and in music culture always really appeared, uh, appealed to me because of that. You're listening to Heavy Hops. We'll have more from Maura Walsh in a minute. There are a few things happening in the world of Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra at the moment I want to share. Live music is back. The first Scorched Tundra Presents show is taking place on Saturday, September 4th at the Empty Bottle in Chicago, featuring In the Company of Serpents, Hive, and Roman Ring. You can find tickets at scorchedtundra.com slash tickets. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant access to our growing Discord community. Thanks for this moment, and back to our interview with Maura Walsh. So, Maura, help us bridge the gap between, um, you know, the the booklet coming out and shower curtains with these uh, with the images of the of the venues to when the theater district starts uh, knocking on your door and saying, "Hey, theaters." Sure. So. Uh a really, really nice uh, person named Bridget Gundin from the organization Support Chicago Arts contacted me. And she basically asked me uh, if I would be interested in collaborating to make a new drawing for them, which they wanted to call the Tiny Guide to Chicago Arts. Uh, this one was more focused on like performing arts and theater. Um, so we made a drawing based on their list. And... Their list included places like the Chopin Theater, the Factory Theater, Zany's Comedy Club, the Court Theater, um, the Biograph Theater, a bunch of different places, again, related more to the performing arts and theaters. Uh, Support Chicago Arts, um, which you can check out at supportchicagoarts.com. Uh, they are an organization that formed in response to the pandemic, I believe, and they are donating 100% of their profits to different, uh, or, you know, at the time it was to the Save Our Stages initiative, and I think now they're donating it to uh, a few different things related to the art scene in Chicago. So they were really great to work with, and um, what was different with them was that I gave them the drawing and they did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> so for my last projects, I, I was like, this is not sustainable. I cannot do this for a, a long time. And, you know, basically producing everything, cutting everything, um, I tried to keep all the costs really low, so it was really labor-intensive and dealing with the shipping and orders and getting lost in the mail and stuff. So with Support Chicago Arts, I told them, yeah, you know, I'll make you a drawing, and they handled the rest from there, which was fantastic. So they took this one drawing, and they turned it into a whole bunch of different things, like a pillow, a tote bag, a tumbler, um, oh my gosh, posters, uh, different things to sell and fundraise. And again, 100% of that was donated, which was really amazing. So again, it was really nice to have their support and also to um, have them take most of that hard work <laughs> part of it and off my shoulders. How was it seeing your artwork translated into these different physical mediums? Like, that's got to be a unique experience. Yeah, it's really strange, especially for this one. It was the same drawing was on several different items, so it was it was just really cool. And you know, people were just messaging me nonstop, like, "Oh, I got the pillow. Oh, I got the tote bag." And like, all my friends were so supportive. And you know, knowing especially knowing that things are donated, I mean, people usually want to you know help out, and they were just buying stuff up and letting me know what they got. And it all looked really good. It was really cool. At the um, at the end, they made this like cube lamp thing with a drawing on each side it was super cool i don't even know how they come up with these ideas it's just um you know different 
different things that people might want to buy as gifts and stuff. But it is pretty surreal just in thinking about how much is out there that has this drawing on it is pretty surreal. And um, I don't know. I think it's kind of still sinking in after this time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're in people's lives in so many different yeah. ways. Yeah, it's like some people have like kind of redecorated rooms or, you know, certain things with that in mind. And I think that's really cool. And I think it's it's kind of heartwarming because not only are they passionate about supporting these places and it's just kind of like that idea of them wanting to chip in and help, too. You know, like they couldn't draw this necessarily, but they can purchase it. And that's, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so it's like it was kind of nice to see everyone band together and want to support all these efforts. Mm hmm. I think it's a unique look at Chicago that differs from what a lot of the tourists see, too. I mean, everyone sees those collages of the main staples in Chicago. But this is, you know, if you think of Chicago culture as someone who lives here, these are the places that really, really matter. So it's cool to know that, um, you know, everyone here and abroad is still like very conscious of this. Yes. So between theaters and venues and restaurants, there's a group that isn't here that is kind of interesting to me. And this may be just sort of weirdly linear based on you're an artist, but there's no art galleries represented here. So do you think that, uh, I mean, I'm, I want to just sort of get to know why that is, uh, whether it's um, because they weren't at the top of your mind, but uh why is that? Like, is there not a connection that you feel to the art world here? Uh, like, just, I'm curious about that. That's really interesting. So I'm sure we'll talk about it more in a little bit, but I do plan to include some galleries in my new project that I'm working on. Um, the main reason I think art galleries were not included in these first projects was just I already had so many directly related music venues and record stores and other music spaces that I wasn't including. It seemed like if I, you know, it's almost like I could only fit so many places in this drawing. And Chicago has so many places that are directly related to the music scene that would come kind of like before in logic. Um, But I definitely do think that galleries have a place, um, you know, a space for music um, in some parts not all of them I think some galleries are a little bit aloof and not wanting to go there but like a place that comes to my mind immediately is Heaven Gallery in Wicker Park and I know they've had a lot of I've seen a lot of really cool like experimental shows there and I know they have a relationship to kind of like the Chicago rave scene and so they do kind of like those those type of inspired shows which I think is really interesting because they're also an art space among other things and um, so again, I, I do think that they contribute to the music culture in Chicago, but the reason I didn't include them yet, <laughs> they're coming, <laughs> um, is just because I could only fit so many places in a drawing that kind of had to use the logic and popularity, I guess, for that, those deciding factors. Um, and with support Chicago arts, I was given that list. Um, I'm actually not very, um, a lot of those theaters I had not been to, so it, you know, I'm not at that experience in the theater scene either. So that was cool to get their list because I wouldn't have been able to come up with that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're definitely like, you know, one of the things that I think of when I look through this list and also at some of the stuff on your web shop is like I'm learning about my own city that I take so much pride <laughs> uh-huh. in knowing so much about. And I find out maybe I don't know a whole lot. So but uh, when you were uh, working through your lists 
here, uh, I'm assuming as people do, uh, as small business owners, some of them may see that they aren't included here and feel as though they should be included. So were people reaching out that were uh, upset to not be included? And if so, kind of, how did you uh, contend with that tension? Sure. So um, actually not. I haven't gotten one complaint from an actual business that they weren't included, which was nice. <laughs> That's I mean, awesome. Hopefully they just saw me as a person <laughs> like I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, I did get a lot of comments and messages from random people like, why wasn't Talia Hall in this one? Or why wasn't the river? Or, you know, this or that. And I was like, oh, man. This is only one, this only has 20 places. This doesn't even scratch the surface of Chicago's music scene. So like, and I would just say, you know, this is what I would tell a friend to go see based on my favorite places, or, you know, cause that's kind of like, they can't argue with that. But I definitely, again, making the list initially and not being um, thoughtful in the light of how this would develop, <laughs> you know, cause I didn't know. Um, I think, you know, I never meant to be uh, not inclusive of everyone. And I would love to include everyone, but that's kind of where my new project developed um, from that kind of concept. But um, luckily I didn't get a lot of negative feedback. Everyone's been really nice and positive. I mean, there's just a few random people that you're like, okay, I'm just going to ignore that, but I don't know what you're talking about. Or there was one lady who was like, you should be helping the homeless. Why are you doing this? And I was like, I am one person. I'm not saving the world. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, you can say that about anything, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even know what to say to that lady and I didn't say anything, but, um, you know, outside of that comment that sticks out my mind, just being ridiculous. But, um, I was the positive, the feedback was very positive and very supportive. And I think people realized that I am just one single person trying to do something small. Um, but that's where I think these projects could develop and grow for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it was also a time, you know, during the pandemic when I think people were excited to see any type of representation of places that they missed uh, in some way. Yeah, definitely. There was that like nostalgia and kind of fear of losing these places, I think, too. They were like, oh, man, you know, make sure this gets to uh, this venue because I, I really love them and it means a lot to my, my, my wife and I or whatever. You know, they, they would have like this little story about why they wanted to contribute. And I think that was definitely part of how that project got so big. People were kind of like attached and scared about losing these places. You know, also on the flip side of that, 2020, uh, right around June, we saw a huge surge of criticism against restaurant owners and managers um, for everything from foul treatment of staff uh, to just very negligible behavior. Um, So some of these places were included in some of the places featured in your art. Can you kind of talk to us about how you felt when these things came out? Sure. Yeah, that, I mean, it was a really difficult and weird situation and uh, stressful. Um, I was obviously really disappointed to hear these things coming out about these places. Um, it's just kind of, it's such a shame. Um, and you kind of wish it, oh man, like this is happening right in the middle of this project and I can barely keep up as it is. And now I have to deal with this big issue. But at the same time, like, I'm so glad that these places were called out for being racist, sexist, homophobic, and all these, you know, these bad behaviors, because that's just unacceptable. Um, But yeah, for me personally, I, you know, I was trying to figure out what to do, because I'm giving these places money, and, 
you know, I didn't sign a contract or anything saying I would give it to them, but it's still, you know, I told them, you know, I'm doing this for you guys. And, um, I had to make a decision whether I was going to give those places money or not. Um, and in the end I decided not to. Um, and I think something that came to my mind a lot during that situation and trying to decide what my own actions were, uh, is one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is from, um, Martin Luther King Jr. And he says, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And my, my, um, my initial reaction was kind of like, oh my gosh, just ignore it and pretend you didn't see it, you know, just get this over with because I was like losing my mind. I was so busy. But then I realized, you know, by staying silent, by ignoring it, you are allowing it to continue and you are in a, in a sense supporting it because you're not doing something. And I have been dealing with these kind of thoughts a lot with um, certain people I know and certain actions I witness and kind of the the prevalence of people just kind of ignoring things and allowing these behaviors to continue when they should be addressed and stopped. So this was, again, very stressful. I'm extremely (laughs) non-confrontational. So I was like really stressed out by this, but I sent the places an email and I was like, hey, like I'm really disappointed to see this. This impacts my project. Like I don't want to be associated with this behavior. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to give you your part of this this project and I'm going to put it back in and donate it to everyone else. So essentially that's what I did. Um, so I pulled their, their portion and I put some of that back into the big pool of money that would get split up between the other venues. And then I took a a portion as well and I donated that to girls rock Chicago. Um, I don't know if you guys know girls rock Chicago, but they're an organization here that supports, uh, girls, trans and gender nonconforming youth through music. So I thought, you know, a lot of these actions are against, um, you know, women and people of um, different races and like sexual, sexual orientations. So I thought that that was maybe a way to kind of help put a little bit of positive back where they were <laughs> putting negative mm-hmm. in it, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, so if you don't know Girls Rock Chicago, I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, it's girlsrockchicago.org. And um, I actually have their mission statement here so I can read it. But it's building socially just community with girls, transgender youth, and gender expansive youth by developing leadership, fostering self-esteem, and encouraging creative expression through music. And I, I think that's like an amazing mm-hmm. mission statement. Like that's beautiful. And they're doing such good work and they were so grateful. I would actually love to work with them again if I could in some other way, like, you know, with artwork and stuff. So that's kind of how I handled that difficult situation. It was definitely stressful. And again, just a shame. Like I don't understand how businesses think they can get away with stuff like that, but um, you know, we just have to keep dealing with things like this as they come up. Cause I think this is going to be more common of a situation. Yeah. It, and with that project as well, uh, people were able to donate to specific venues uh, mm-hmm. if they were. They said, oh, I would like all my funds to go to Shuba's or an empty bottle. That was something you were you were honoring at that point. Yep, exactly. So I had to take all those away and, you know, <laughs> figure that out. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a good uh, a good substitution and an appropriate one uh, considering uh, considering the scenario that you had outlined. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about sort of something you alluded to earlier and that was the interconnectivity of like performing art and fine art and um it you know i want to know if this project has helped you feel connected to an art scene uh in chicago i mean clearly this 
was something that really brought people who were interested in music uh, in music venues together and in uh, performing art uh, art spaces. Um, did you feel as though this, uh, because of the just sort of medium, uh, connected you to an art scene as well? Um, well, I actually have been thinking about this a lot lately, which is interesting. Um, so I really, in general, I really feel disconnected from the art scene in Chicago. And, and it's just, you know, I've lived here my whole life and it's not like I have something else to compare it to, but I just feel like there's definitely a lack of community and kind of like support amongst one another, one another. And a lot of art artists I know and galleries, it's kind of like everything's very singular. Like this one person is doing this one thing and, you know, and I don't really appreciate that. I guess I just, um, I wish there was a better sense of community there. Um, but I, again, I think that's why, especially as a younger person, I gravitated towards the music scene because it just felt very much community oriented and inclusive, even though I know it's not, there's, there's issues everywhere, but I think a lot of the, especially a lot of the scenes and the shows I was interested in, there was a lot of like emphasis on inclusivity and, you know, everyone's welcome here and it's a safe space for, you know, kids of, you know, trans kids and people of color. And like, that was always really important to me. Um, and being there as a girl by myself, like, <laughs> you know, alone out late, it's just, you know, I never really felt endangered. I felt like these people, we kind of all had the same um, reasons for being there and wanting to support each other. But I definitely don't feel that in the, the art scene in Chicago. And I wish, I wish I did. And, I'm always struggling. Like, am I not looking in the right places or am I not going to the right things? Or, you know, you really have to go to shows and talk, or I'm sorry, gallery shows and talk to people. And again, it's just all very individual. So I wouldn't say that this has made me feel any closer to the art scene, but definitely the music scene. Um, it would be nice to find a way to kind of connect those a bit more. Um, I don't know if there's anything I can do in that regard, but <laughs> uh, I think it would be, it would be great to see some more like community support or community activities or something related to art, specifically visual art scene in Chicago. Music and bands sort of select how they want to be involved with art, right? Yeah. And it's all like a lot of it is asset driven, right? I need this cover art for my LP. I need this uh, particular layout and so much of it is driven towards the digital arts and graphic design less so than traditional art and maybe some of the um, for example like a lot of the other stuff that you do that isn't uh, you know tiny pen on paper yeah. and so that you know it's within like a fine space that's uh, like traditionally or that is contemporarily becoming more and more of like a professional space than an art space, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it is a it is a challenge. Um, why do you think that uh, the art scene uh, here in Chicago and for you as an artist, like why do you feel as though there's a, a disconnect or a lack of community in the way that you see uh, it in comparison to music or uh, other expressions? That's a really interesting question, and I'm not sure if I have the answer, but um, I think, I mean, again, part of me is like, I'm just looking in the wrong places, or I need to create the community I'm looking for, that type of thing. <laughs> but, um, and I don't know, is it community events? Is it uh, opportunities? Is it, um, I'm not really sure what I'm looking for as far as the art world with support and with uh, community, some sort of sense of community there. Um, 
Because it's not like they have to like have a party and invite me, <laughs> you know, like a show is sort of like a party you're invited to. Um, but um, yeah, I just think I think the way that the art world functions is very um, like artists put themselves first and they they apply to that show and they do this thing by themselves and just how the whole system is built is a little bit more individualized, I think. Um, and I mean, there is collaboration and there are spaces that host different projects and events. Um, it just, it just feels like something's missing and I'm not sure what that is. So maybe we'll know eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got to figure that out, but there's just something that's not very welcoming about the art world that I think is on the flip side of the music world is more so welcoming, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully welcoming you. They want people to go to the show and they want people, you know. But in the art world, like you kind of go into a gallery, no one talks to you, and you don't, you know, you may or may not understand the work you're seeing, and then you leave. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like this solitary experience, or like, and it's very like introspective. And um, I just wish it was a little different. But again, I'm not sure what I'm looking for. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing with art is you did kind of touch on it is that it is more personal experience, not only for the viewer but the artist as well. Whereas music is not only a personal experience but it's also a community experience. And I think it's interesting. How would you go about bridging that gap in the in the art world? Uh, you have museums, right? But like, think about when <laughs> uh, when I go to a museum or when we go to museums. We typically if we go with other people, it's still a very individualized experience. It's not it, it, as it, shared as you would think. Yes. I, <laughs> I think that it comes down to how we view, uh, how we view art in this country and how we view it precisely as a personal experience. But there is art that is public that we take in, um, in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it may just have to be with how we sort of attribute and assign value to different types of art. And if it's something we're able to interpret fine art in the way that we interpret music as well, I think it just has to be a willingness to, to be able to view it that way. And maybe mm -hmm. that starts with education for the youths for the youths. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you know, they're, they're downplaying all the education right now with budget cuts and, you know, mm -hmm. so this will become a bigger problem, I'm sure. But, um, yeah. And I think maybe just having more purposeful like programming that's, you know, cause you think about, for example, a music festival, like the city puts that on or not, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, but it's all kind of centered around that. And then there's these extra things to do. It's like, what if we had a festival or some sort of like, I don't know. Am I saying everything has to be a party? <laughs> I don't know. But that is like a, a very easy way for people to uh, gain entry to the music world and to have, because we're talking about like shared experience, right? That's right. what, that's what like in so. seeing music yeah. that we all sort of are talking about is things that we enjoy. Um, or if you're going out and eating a meal, like, we're in the same space. We may even be eating the same food. And so we're having like, uh, we can have similar experiences in that place too. And so with art, we're looking at the same thing. There's no way, there's no reason why we couldn't necessarily have a collective, uh, experience when it, when it comes to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah. 
I think, you know, if we want to touch on something that's a little bit more recent is the Van Gogh um, exhibition right now at the Art Institute. That is a very interactive thing, but not only that, it is also very, that it's probably the most community-driven art experience I've seen in a while. Um, so I think, you know, if we're looking for steps towards bringing art into a more community-driven aspect, I think events and exhibitions like that are certainly a, a good step forward. Yeah, and they have the the Wonder Museum with Yayoi Kusama's work there. That mm-hmm. that too was pretty um I mean, you had to go into most people went into a room with someone and looked at this piece together and had this experience. So I don't know if it's the experience part. I'm trying to like dissect my own thoughts as I'm yeah. speaking though. <laughs> well, it, it is it is hard and you know, uh, another component to it. I, I like this idea of the sort of interactiveness. And I think that part of that is also the sort of egalitarian nature that it, it that it has when you're all taking in that same experience. And so maybe uh, it, maybe that's another component to it is that there are many arts and there are arts that are for certain people based on socioeconomic uh, socioeconomic factors determined that some can enjoy this based on whether it's better education or better access uh, or um, anything of the ilk. So, you know, there's all, all that uh, has to be sorted obviously. And that's not a one generation thing, but uh I do think that shared experience point is uh, is important in getting to this in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a matter of like having a space where people can sort of, you know, s- supporting that people can share their ideas with it. And in museums and libraries, you feel quiet. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. in a venue, I have to yell and scream at you, Sam, because right. you're fucking deaf. So... <laughs> You know, like it's and then the people next to me can overhear me yelling in your ear. And then all of a sudden they're a part of that conversation. Right. That's that's community. Right. Right. Is that people can uh, people can latch on to each other and there's something shared there. So a couple there's a couple of possibilities. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting discussion, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, next week on Heavy Hops, right? So, and, and Dr. Santucci would disagree with you on my deafness. Yeah, yeah. Well, we won't. We, we won't tell Dr. Santucci about me yelling in your ear. He, he would have some thoughts. Let's let's uh, let's continue on. So, uh, for listeners, we've put uh, links to Mara's work uh, in the in the episode notes, so you can find images of uh, of all the stuff that we've talked about. Now, when people go to your website, uh, they see a whole host of individual images of uh, venues, and there are some there that, uh, again, I don't even know. So I've kind of learned about uh, my own city in some way. Like, tell us a little bit about the Chicago Music Scene Project and sort of the larger initiative you've got going on now. Okay, so my current project, as you just mentioned, I'm just calling it the Chicago Music Scene Project. Uh, With this one, I am trying to draw, I'm air quoting all (laughs) of the music spaces in Chicago. Uh, So, you know, for my last project, and they were, you know, the first one that I did where I raised the $37,000, it was just not sustainable. Like the amount of work I had to put into it, I was just like at the wire every single day. Um, And it just, it just wasn't, something I could continue for a long time. So 
when I ended that, I was trying to think for, I thought for quite a while about a way to kind of continue this work, but in a different way and something that is sustainable long-term. So with this project, it's also a big commitment, but <laughs> um, I'm kind of breaking it up into chunks. Uh, so I basically, I'm trying to draw every individual music space in Chicago. I am taking the original drawings and reproducing them into small art prints that are five by seven, and I'm selling them and donating half of the profits to Civil, which is the Chicago Independent Venue League. And they respond, or they formed in response to COVID, I believe, um, or they ramped up in response to COVID for sure. They didn't exist before. And I've worked with them um, on some other projects, but with my, the first effort, I divided up and donated that that $37,000 to all the places in the drawing, which was a nightmare with um, just logistics and taxes because <laughs> I'm not a tax exempt and they are not either. Um, so it got really complicated and just something I don't think I would do again, even though it was really nice and they directly got money that they needed. Um, but Civil is a nonprofit and they are working with the venues and they are working to change the legislation um, just that situation to help all the music spaces that are, you know, having a really hard time from the pandemic. And they're just a great organization with great people. They've all been so nice. And so I'm really happy to work with them. And it's just kind of like the logical choice for um, sanity's sake <laughs> to donate to them. So half of this project, uh, half of the profits are going to civil and the other half is kind of going back in to fuel the project. So I'm not just like running at the wire every day. <laughs> um, so with these uh, spaces, I'm taking, I'm drawing five a week, which is a lot. <laughs> and I am releasing them right now every Monday. Um, right now, I think I have uh, over 70 in my shop. So I'm drawing them individually. And the way I'm drawing them is I am taking paper, making a big ink wash on it, and then drawing the venue and kind of pasting it over that black ink wash. And they're, they're drawn in pen and ink. And in a way that hopefully looks like it, they're kind of in the dark, but the lights are on inside. So the only like light or white part of the interior drawing is coming from inside the venue. Like there's a window or there's several windows or a building's lit up from the inside. So again, they kind of look like they're in the dark, but they're, they're on. And that to me was kind of like uh, a nod to being like, oh, we'll get through this and perseverance and getting through this really difficult time. Um, and they're actually not going dark. Um, so yeah, so I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to draw all of the venues, uh, and that's, I'm trying to think about it broadly and more inclusively, like I mentioned before, including some art galleries, um, drawing record stores, blues and jazz clubs, uh, some theaters, uh, just important, uh, places that give physical space to music. Um, and I do plan to draw places that are no longer here. <laughs> My number one request is the fireside. <laughs> <laughs> out of anything I'm like they're not even open did you ever go to the fireside bowl so i believe i've been there once right before they closed but i i think it, i was i can't remember if they were 21 and up or not do you remember i want to say i couldn't get in there most of the time because i was too young gonna blow both your minds what? i was just bowling there a few weeks ago what yeah they open <laughs> just they no shows again? yeah yeah oh, yep <laughs> i didn't know that so i guess I know. Wow. Yeah, yeah, if there were age restrictions, uh, I was I evaded them. But uh, <laughs> but I, I I guess like I was just kind of curious about um, sort of interpreting and then drawing places that 
you may not have been to and that like don't have the same kind of like reliable visual cues for you to draw from. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I have also discovered a handful of venues so far, and I'm sure there's many to come that I have never heard of. Um, I've definitely never been to. Um, so I'll kind of, what I'll do, because I did rely a lot on my memory, and like, this is where the door was, and this is where the light would come through, for example, <laughs> because that was a glass door. Uh, I would kind of, I kind of just look online for a bunch of photos and kind of cross-reference, because you know, there's places that have been changed. There's places that, you know, like, for example, the tonic room, I drew them, but then I just heard that they changed to the golden dagger. So I pulled that drawing before I released it. And I'm going to figure that out and redo it as the golden dagger. But, uh, so for example, those kind of situations where things change and I just want to like double check stuff, I'm just kind of like grabbing as many photos online as I can and cross-referencing to make sure, especially like there's a lot of places where there's a lot of construction on the street and it's hard to see, um, so, you know, I'm kind of just trying to gather research and checking on that. Um, but yeah, I've definitely discovered places that I have not been to and, um, I've never heard of, which is really cool because there's just so much. Again, I'm at 70 something, I think, and there's so many more. <laughs> so kind of broadening out a little bit, this is a project that has really, uh, put you on the map as far as you as an artist and you as someone who uh, sells things and, um, you know, makes money and distributes it. Uh, you know, you're you're a person that is uh, a source of uh, of knowledge here. So how do you feel about being known for this project more than maybe some of the other things that you've put a lot of time into. I mean, you graduated with a BFA in 2011. Yep. So now we're 10 years down the line. <laughs> years. I mean, like, how does that go over for you? It's really strange. <laughs> I, this is also something I'm thinking about a lot. Um, before I started this, I actually loved always working in pen and ink, but I never really made work in pen and ink. And I would, I love cross hatching. <laughs> so I know I just like mess That's around. That's evident. And, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, it's very hard on your hands when you're doing it a lot. But uh, so I would do like random things with cross hatching and include that in some of my other work. But other than that, um, I really didn't, don't use pen and ink outside of this project. So that's, that's one thing that's a little bit strange because now I'm like exclusively doing pen and ink. I'm starting to mix some other, other things back in um, with upcoming projects, but this and I've stuck with pen and ink because I do feel like this project needed consistency and that's kind of the, the medium of this project. But in regards to my other work, I, I do feel like I put my personal art practice on hold to focus on this, especially during the pandemic. And I think that's actually one of the reasons I kind of dropped it back before the pandemic was I just have so many other interests and this is very specific. <laughs> Um, but you know, during the pandemic, there was this need. And so I became really motivated to give like absolutely everything I had to like pulling off this project and pretty much all my other, you know, other activities had to be put on hold. Um, and I think I've been struggling a lot with the idea that I'm supposed to do just one thing. <laughs> and that's my another like strife with the art world is I feel like they, they, they say, you know, you're as an artist, you're supposed to be known for one thing. Like you're the artist who paints landscape paintings or whatever. Um, and like this work is extremely different than my other work. 
Um, and I think in reality, artists are doing a lot of things and they kind of will choose to emphasize one thing over the other based on, you know, what their gallery says or their, you know, what sells or something. But, um, again, I think this work is really different than my other work in a lot of ways. I mean, my fine art practice, which I don't really share much right now, is more conceptually focused on the childhood experience and ancestral trauma and like ending lineages of toxic behavior and abuse. And so that's obviously extremely different than this work, which is, I mean, that work is a little bit heavy. This is pretty, I think pretty positive. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying to, you know, I feel like I'm being pulled in a lot of directions and I'm trying to figure out how everything fits together. Cause I mean, they are all me, but they're very different and I have a day job and this, this pro this, these tiny guides have essentially turned into a small business and I'm trying to figure out how to like carve room out again for my fine art practice, which I still want to work on. Um, so I think to answer your question more directly, <laughs> I'm really happy that this work has taken off. And especially in this crazy time, like I feel like I'm doing something or I think it helped keep me sane because I felt like I was contributing in some tiny way to the, the pandemic situation in our city. And so I'm very happy about that. And, you know, literally blood, sweat, <laughs> blood, sweat and tears went into this. And I'm really happy to that to have that recognized. Um, um, I, and I think the future is just really open right now, which is exciting. Like I'm starting a, f a few projects um, coming out soon that have like more color in them, but are still related. So I'm looking forward to color <laughs> and maybe not just exclusively drawing buildings. Um, and I think in the future, I'm just kind of staying open-minded and figuring out how all these things connect. Or maybe they're not supposed to connect and they're just supposed to stay separate, like stay separate because then I'm giving into this idea I should be doing one thing. So it's very complicated and interesting. Um, and I think it'll be cool to actually listen back to this podcast like 10 years from now and be like, wow, I had no idea, you know? So I think I'm just staying open-minded and kind of going with the flow with everything. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mara, thank you so much for joining us on Heavy Hops. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>